0: Good morning. Please turn with me into your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. Romans 5, 6, 11. Romans 5, 6, 11. For while we were still weak, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good r- person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in what while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we we're, were enemies we were reconciled to God by death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good morning. We ask for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. And I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. When Abraham was 75 years old, he had a conversation with God. And God promised him that he would make of him a great nation. Five years went by, and Abraham didn't see how the promise was being fulfilled. Ten years went by, 15 years went by, and he still didn't see how the promise was being fulfilled. Twenty years went by, and when he turned 100, he finally held Isaac in his arms. He had finally received the child that God had promised, the child through whom all of the blessings that were made would be fulfilled. When Isaac was a young man God spoke to Abraham again and he told Abraham that he wanted him to offer this one and only son as a burnt sacrifice to him and Abraham obeyed he took Isaac and two servants the wood that he cut him, he cut for himself and they traveled to the mountain where God told him to make the sacrifice at the mountain, Abraham and Isaac went on by themselves. And on the way, Isaac asked, what will we sacrifice? And his father promised him that God would provide. So they built the altar and they covered it with wood. And then Abraham bound this son that he loved and laid him on the altar. And as he was about to sacrifice Isaac, the angel of the Lord came to him and stopped him and did indeed provide another sacrifice. In what he did, Abraham showed that he feared God. And he demonstrated to God that there was nothing in his life that he would withhold from God. Whatever God wanted of Abraham, even this precious son, Abraham was prepared to lay at God's feet. Well, the story concludes with Abraham receiving back his son and Abraham being blessed greatly for his faithfulness and his commitment to the Lord. When we read the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis, this is a turning point. This is an important moment in the life of Abraham and in his relationship with God. But it's important for another reason, and that reason is that it foreshadows what God himself would do later. It was God's desire to save men and women from their sins, to deal with their sin and to bring human beings back into the relationship with him that he intended when he made them. And God's desire to do that was so great that he was willing to sacrifice his son to offer up his own son's life in order to save human beings. Jesus himself affirms that God would work out his plans in this way. In John chapter 3, we learn that a nighttime visitor to Jesus named Nicodemus comes to him because he's looking for the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins to talk to him and explains to Nicodemus that he can't enter the kingdom unless he is born again. And though well-educated in the Scriptures and all that, Nicodemus doesn't get it. Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. How can a man be born when he is old? He asked Jesus. Surely he cannot enter into his mother's womb a second time. Jesus tries to explain again. No one can enter the kingdom unless he's born of water and the Spirit. And still Nicodemus does not understand. And so Jesus tries a third time. And this time it is Jesus that doesn't understand. Jesus doesn't understand how a teacher in Israel could not understand these things. How could Nicodemus fail to understand what he is saying? The conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus ends in verse 15. And students of John have debated a long time as to whether Jesus' thought continues to verse 21 or is this John reflecting on the conversation And I don't know how to answer that question. I'm not sure that it's important because the passage is inspired by God. But it is an explanation of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And the explanation comes in words that we all know by heart. It comes in words that that we love and cherish. It comes in the words of the gospel. And we all know the words of John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First, Jesus explains God's motive for wanting to save the world. And the motive is really an amazing one. It's the motive of love. God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he was going to do what had to be done to save the world. He would do that because it was never his desire that people would be lost, that anyone would be punished for eternity. Twice the New Testament, once in 1 Timothy and the second time in 2 Peter, the New Testament says that God is not willing that any should perish. That's not his desire. That's not what he wants. But that all should come to repentance. God wanted more for his creatures than eternal punishment. But men and women are going to experience eternal punishment because of their sin. Sin separates us from God. And God in his justice and his holiness and his righteousness could not simply overlook it. Could not ignore it. But Jesus is saying that God wanted to redeem men and women from Satan and from sin, to, to buy us back for Himself, to claim what was His, and He would do that because He loved us. Even though we are alienated and hostile to Him, He loves us. God is love, John will declare in 1 John which is to say that God's essential character is love and that love is given its greatest expression in Jesus' death on the cross. You see, God didn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings for us. His love acted. His love did what needed to be done and he accomplished his purpose of saving us. In His infinite wisdom and His infinite grace, God found a way to be just and holy and to be merciful and loving at the same time. And the way that worked out was through His own Son. Our sin demanded God's punishment. If He didn't punish sin, He wouldn't be holy or righteous. But He loves us and He wants to have fellowship with us. And so to meet the demands of His holiness and His love, God condemned human sin. And He put it all on the back of His Son. Out of love for us, He punished His own Son. And Jesus took that punishment for our sins, and not just ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, Nicodemus may not have been able to comprehend the scope of God's love, But Nicodemus would have known Deuteronomy chapter 7 where God told Israel through Moses that they were his chosen people not because they were the most desirable of people or not because they were the most numerous of people but because he loved them. He chose them out of the love that he had for them. Nicodemus would have known the prophets who had told Israel that God loved her like a groom loves his bride or as a parent, loves its child. Nicodemus had enough understanding, enough upbringing in the Scriptures to know that God loved His people. But if you look at John 3.16, Jesus doesn't tell Nicodemus that God so loved Israel. He tells him that God so loved the world. That the love that He had for Israel, the love that He had for His people through whom He worked out His purpose was only part of the greater love that he had for the whole world. There is a song that we sing about Jesus, but we could very easily put God's name in. And it is familiar to us. God loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, God loves the children of the world. When we wonder whether God loves us, when we wonder whether God loves the world, we don't have to search long and hard for an answer. We only have to look at Jesus. We only have to look at the cross and see God's love. No human being falls outside of God's love. Not you, not me, not the people down the street, not the people that live across town or across the globe. God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners Jesus died for us God gave an incredible indescribably precious gift and so Jesus next explains the gift you know sometimes we we see things that we want there're things that we want to accomplish or we want to have and we don't really ever get past sitting in our chair and rocking and thinking, wow, it is sure great to have that. And then not do anything and not have it. Well, God wasn't like that. He didn't sit back and just wish things were better between himself and the world that he created. He took the initiative. He took the first steps. Salvation is always His work and it always starts with Him. He acted first because we could not save ourselves. And in acting first, He gave. And He gave richly and He gave lavishly and He gave generously. He gave out of a love that is beyond our ability to comprehend. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, He sent that son into this world, into this hostile, hateful, alienated, lost world that had turned its back on him so long before. He clothed his son in human flesh. And for a time, the son lived as one of us. He ate, he drank, he slept, he talked, he walked as one of us. And when that son was about 30 years old, he began his ministry And the Son called people back to the Father. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for a new day is beginning to dawn in which God will rule in people's hearts in a way that He has not ruled before. The Son healed people's diseases. And He cast out their demons. And He gave sight to the blind. And He made the lame to walk. And these wonderful acts... Of compassion were also a promise, a foreshadowing of the greater healing that Jesus came to give people. The greater healing of salvation, of forgiveness, of a new relationship with God. Always the son taught people about God and how to live before God. The son's work and teachings, though, didn't take long to get him in trouble with the religious and civil authorities. And by the hands of those civil authorities and through those civil authorities, God sacrificed his son. He gave his son up to death. He put your sins on Jesus. He made Jesus guilty for the sins that we committed. Jesus was punished for us. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He died our death on the cross. But on the third day, God vindicated him. God raised him from the dead and exalted him. Unless we understand what God did, we need to keep in mind that this son that was given by God was not one son out of thousands. He wasn't one son out of hundreds. Jesus was not one son out of tens. He was the only son. The one and only son. The unique son. There never have been, there never will be another son that stands in relationship to the Father the way Jesus does. There would in time be adopted children, and God loves His adopted children. But none enjoyed the relationship with the father that the one and only son does. And God took this one and only son and gave him up for us. And again, as Isaiah said, with his stripes, we are healed. We love our children, don't we? They may be noisy right now. That's all right. Let them be noisy. We love them. We cherish them. And we shudder to think what it would be like to lose them. To have somebody take them from us. But to give up an only child. Think about that. Think about a father purposely giving up the life of his child for someone else. For someone else who was evil and and sinful and hateful. And opposed to God. Giving up that child for such. But that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He didn't give us give Jesus up on the cross for lovely people. He didn't give Jesus up for people that deserved it. He gave it up for people that hated Him. Who had chosen to walk away from Him and have nothing to do with Him. But his love was so great that he gave his son. Children sometimes have a way of grasping great truth in simple ways. And there is a story that comes from World War II. And according to the story, a man and his young son were walking one evening. And as they walked along, the boy noticed that some of the houses had gold stars in the window. And he finally asked his father what the stars were for. What did they mean? And the father answered that they came from this terrible war. And they showed that these families gave up a son. They walked along a little more, and the boy looked up into the night sky and happened to see the evening star. And he said, Daddy, God must have given up a son too. And as the man who recorded that story concluded, that's right. In a terrible war against evil, against sin, God gave up a son. Out of love for us, he paid the price of our forgiveness, of our mercy, with his one and only son to save us for himself. But to what purpose? Well, Jesus explains that it was God's purpose that whoever believes in his Son will not perish, shall not perish, but have eternal life. God in his love holds out the gift of salvation in his Son to any and all who will accept it. He gave his Son so that men and women could have eternal life instead of eternal death. Heaven instead of hell. He gave his son so that men and women could live for eternity in his presence. God didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to judge the world and sentence it to eternal punishment. He came to save. He came to save the world. God wants to give the world eternal life. He wants us to have fellowship with him forever. And what he asks of us to receive his forgiveness and eternal life is that we believe in his son. To believe here is not simply to accept some intellectual propositions as being true. That's a part of it, but it's really a tiny part of it. To believe here is to give oneself to another in trust. To give oneself to God fully and wholly. In trust, It is to entrust ourselves to God without holding anything back. It is to trust God completely. And in that trust to be willing to do whatever God says to do. Whatever God asks us to do. We will do because we trust him. Because we believe in the son. To believe is to give ourselves to God's will fully. And without reservation. Knowing that when he when we do, he will save us completely. That he will never let us down. He will never fail us. God will always be faithful to us when we give ourselves to him in trusting, obedient faith. I, I know you all know who George is, my father-in-law. But there's another George in my life that is really important to me, and that's my grandfather, George. My grandfather had a best friend named Fred. They knew each other forever, more than 40 years. Friday night was either at Stewart's or at Paul's, and it was cream sodas and 500 or Canasta, whatever it was. And they did that for more than 40 years. But their lives, of course, came to a close, and... Not long before the two men passed away, they and their wives were together for one last time. What turned out to be about one last time. And George and Fred were sitting together on the couch. And Fred needed to get get up, but he just had trouble standing. He had trouble with his balance. And seeing him struggle, George reached out his hand to hold on to him and to steady him. I'm not sure what my grandfather would have done if Grandpa Fred had fallen, but he was going to hold him up. And Grandpa Fred was able to stand and he didn't fall. Well, Fred's wife saw this. She saw him get up and saw him waver and thought he was going to fall. And she rushed over to him. But Fred said, I'm all right. I'm all right. George has my hand. He will not let me fall. If two old friends can love and trust each other so much, and if that love and trust can keep them from falling, how much more can our trust in God mean that we will not fall? That God will save us? that He will deliver us from eternal punishment. The person who trusts in Jesus, who lives in obedient trust, who puts his life into God's hands, will not fall, will not perish, but will have eternal life. Rather than experiencing eternity in hell and fiery torment and eternal death and never-ending separation from God, In outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, the obedient believer will spend eternity in heaven. That's what God holds out to us. Eternity in heaven with Him. He doesn't force His love on us. He doesn't force our salvation on us. The choice is always ours. The choice is always yours. To receive His gift of salvation in obedient, trusting faith, Or to reject it and suffer the eternal consequences. It's our call. It's our choice. There may be somebody here this morning that has not made that choice yet. And we want to urge you to make it. It is your choice, but we want you to choose God and to choose his love and his salvation. Choose the love of God and not the hostility of God. Choose the mercy of God and not the condemnation of God. Choose the forgiveness of God and not the judgment of God. Choose the gift of eternal life and not His punishment. The way to choose mercy and forgiveness and life is to believe in Jesus. Believe that He is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead. And on the basis of that faith and expression of that faith, repent of your sins. To repent of sins is to feel sorry for something that we've done, but more than that it is to change our lives. Jesus himself said that repentance is turning from the power of darkness to the power of light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. As a further expression of your faith, confess that faith publicly before other people. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that God raised him from the dead. Confess that he is Lord of your life. And finally, express your faith by submitting to Him in baptism and immersion in water, where you'll be joined to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and where your sins will be washed away, where you'll receive the gift of eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. With your sins forgiven in your new life and with help of God's Spirit, then you can live a life of faith and fellowship with God and His people. What we want you to take home tomorrow, today is just this simple statement that God loves you beyond measure. He loves you so much that He's already paid the penalty of your sins with the blood of His own Son. And we hope in faith and obedience that you'll receive that yourself, the gifts of His love. Or at the very, very least, you'll let us sit down with you and talk to you about these things in private, one-on-one. And brothers and sisters who may be sitting here thinking, wow, I've heard all of this before. You have. But we all need to be reminded of these things. We all need to be reminded of Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And if we've come to a place in our lives where we've stumbled, where sin and Satan are having a go at us, we need to remember that God loves us too. And that he wants to save us and that he will. He will forgive our sins if we will come to him and ask. So we invite you to come whether it's to obey the gospel and receive salvation or to be restored to the Lord. Whatever your need is, won't you come while we stand and sing together?